Underwriting for AutoLine this week, provided by... <laughs> Cars have always captured our imagination. What they look like, how they move, and the places they take us. And because you've always loved them, you deserve to love the experience of buying them. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, before a car gets in a showroom, it has to be manufactured. Before it's manufactured, it has to be engineered. And before it's engineered, it has to be designed. And that's what we're talking about, design from all different aspects. And joining me on today's show are Joe Daner, the head of exterior design for the Dodge and Ram brands at the FCA Group, Darby Barber, a student at the College for Creative Studies. Also, some of you may recognize her as a participant in the reality show Motor City Masters, and I never missed one episode of that, I'll have you know. And Paul Snyder, the Transportation Design Chair at the College for Creative Studies. And I want to thank you all for joining us here today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Joe, let's start out. We, we, we've got a student, we've got a school, we also have a car company representative. Yeah. How hard is it to get new talent to come into the design part of the automotive industry? John, it's becoming a lot more difficult with each passing year. Uh, it just seems to be a smaller segment of students that are out there that are basically aware of car design. Uh, I think, uh, I jokingly say sometimes uh, people and, and students themselves think cars are designed in the back of the dealership and manufactured, and that's not obviously true. But uh, getting them to be aware of what we do and getting them uh, to be inspired by what we do is the first step. Paul, you run one of the preeminent design schools in the world. How hard is it, you know, having heard what Joe just said, of getting students to come in and apply for it? Well, we're still one of the largest departments in the, in the school. Um, but yes, the trend is uh, the entertainment arts are growing. So part of my challenge is to get some of those kids who are really interested in making things, but instead of making it virtually, make it real and actually see it on the road or, you know, in your kitchen, whatever. Darby, what got you interested in, what, was it even cars in the first place? Or, I mean, how did you end up being at CCS? Um, well, I was always interested in cars. I loved cars. <clears throat> um, I would always go to shows with my dad. And um, I was always a drawer. And I, I wanted to learn how to draw cars because I, I just had this, like, Ever since I was like in, in middle school, I had my, my car planned out for when I turned 16. I didn't get it, I had to work for it, but I just, I have this passion for cars and I love to draw. And so I wanted to design cars and I wanted to someday have a car to see and drive and maybe own a car that I've designed is like my pretty much goal in life. But were you very different from all your friends? Were you the only one or did you have others who were also interested um, in doing that? No, none of my, well, I have some car guy friends, but none of my girlfriends really like cars. They're kind of into horses. Um, none of my family's really into cars. I'm pretty much just kind of my lone self, but I love it. That's cool. That's great to hear. Joe, it seems to me that there's all kinds of design schools all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems that the car companies are all clamoring to get new designers in, in there. So how do you convince students that they ought to pursue automotive design as a career? Well, I think Paul touches on a good point there. Um, you know, a lot of the 
younger generation today, they're very digitally inclined and they live in that virtual world. But with car design, you actually get to create a product. It's a collaborative effort, but you get to create a real product that you can actually drive and experience. And I think that's a great selling point for uh, some of the younger students uh, that they can, it, and a car is basically one of the largest products there are, uh, consumer-based products. So I think that's a good selling point. Um, in addition to that, we, we basically look under every, every uh, we go to all four corners of the earth basically to different design schools to try to find new talent. Um, there's the traditional schools that we go to, but we're also looking at other schools to you know, get more diversity and also just find uh, a, students that might be taking a different uh, path, you know, basically. So it's, it's, it's pretty challenging. Darby, one of the things, of course, is when you get into the digital world, you know, you can design things, it, it, it's done. As soon as your design's done, it's done. But as you know, to have a car be designed and then end up going down the assembly line and end up in a showroom, it's like a three-year gap. Is that something that you found frustrating coming into the automotive business is just how long it takes to turn these things out? I don't think so because um, what I experienced at, at CCS and my internships, um, you want to keep designing it on as, as much, for as much time as you can and you're going to keep changing it and modifying that design until, it, until they tell you you can't anymore. So as much time as you can get is like, you know, give me more time and I think that three years is, is a long time but you can get that product to be so much better within that time. That's right. I, you know, they, they say the devil's in the details. Um, but what that kind of comes back to is your initial concept when you're first, that first week in, in that three-year process, getting that concept right. And so um, in the future, as you're sketching or as you're going through feasibility refinements, you can always refer back to that concept. It's like we all agreed that this thing should be the king of whatever segment. So, you know, let's spend a little money here, or take a little time there. So it certainly doesn't get boring. <laughs> in three years. Every day is a new experience. Okay, well, let's talk about the future then. Joe, I mean, wh when you bring in new talent mm -hmm. to your design studio, are you looking to steer them in a direction that you think they should go, or are you looking for them to bring in fresh ideas? Um, both. Um, I think with anything, we have a, uh, when we bring in a new hire, we also, uh, and it could be an intern or a permanent hire for that matter, a graduate, if you will. Um, we're always, we always think that they would be a good fit for a particular brand or area of car design, be it interior or exterior. But at the same time, we are looking to kind of quote unquote, throw them into the deep end of the pool and see how they work, uh, not only uh, solo, but in a team uh, type atmosphere. It is very collaborative uh, at uh, FCA US. So from that standpoint, uh, it's an iterative process, but it's give and take. We look and we see what they can offer up too. And, and Paul, what are you seeing the trends in design? Where is it going right now that you think is significant that, you know, you can point out here's what we're going to be seeing in the near future? Well, in the near future, um, I, I think there'll be a kind of an evolution in the near future. But I think probably what a lot of OEMs are looking at is um, variations on this uh, Mercedes show car that was in Detroit this last year. Um, you're talking about this uh, autonomous car? The autonomous Good, because you're leading me right where I want to go with this conversation. <laughs> you know, if, if a car becomes fully autonomous and you can rotate the front seats and you don't have to have your hands on the steering wheel at all, 
when you turn around, your head is right where the header is, right? So that kind of pushes that header forward so that when you swivel your seat, you don't bang your head. So then you have kind of a bus or a monovolume shape, much like that Mercedes. Um, just in terms of architecture, how do you make that cool and sexy, right? Um, the Mercedes was cool conceptually, but I don't think it was a very sexy product, you know, or, or concept for a product yet. So that, to me, is a real critical sort of future investigation that, that we need to do. Okay, Darby, how do you make it cool and sexy then? What would you do with an autonomous car? Um, well, I think it depends if it's going to be a full autonomous, like, super future car. I, I don't think it really needs to look like a car because it's going so far away from what a car is. A car is something you drive, even steering wheel, pedals, and whatnot. But if, if it's going to be a semi-autonomous car, then it can still be, you know, make it a cool car. You just have to figure out the right proportions for it, which everyone will do differently, I'm sure. But if it's going to be a completely autonomous car, I don't think it should necessarily look like a traditional car. Could look like a carriage. Yeah. It could, it, you could have a whole range. I mean, I think there's a general thinking that people who are maybe possibly into autonomous cars aren't gearheads, so to speak, or maybe don't have a lot of thought about design. But I think you're going to see a range from, like you said, Paul, things that are more upright, vertical, carriage-like to something that's low, sleek, and sexy. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of different flavors out there. And of course, we're, we're talking, you know, at more than a decade away before we get this fully autonomous where you can really even maybe start to take structure out of a car. I mean, if these things are never going to crash, right. you know, why they should they weigh 4,000 pounds? Yeah, that's yep. right. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, are you guys thinking, I mean, here Mercedes did this concept, uh, and uh, every time I turn around, it's either another automaker or even some of the major suppliers are developing their own autonomous cars or modifying a car company's one. How far out are you guys thinking about autonomy at your group? Um, well, I really can't well, can comment on okay, the yeah. product, <laughs> but it, I do represent the Dodge and the Ram brands, and those are probably the most polar opposite of autonomy, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, especially yeah. if one is about muscle cars and the other is about working uh, work trucks. Um, but it is, it is reality. It's on the horizon. It's here. It's right in front of us. And uh, who's to say that you, maybe there is a muscle car in the future that's autonomous? It sounds very weird, I, or a pickup truck for that matter, but... Um, once again, I think there's, it is something that's on the horizon that uh, we don't know what the depth is until we truly get into it, uh, you know, uh, with a multitude of companies competing in that area. Who knows what's, uh, what could happen? Paul, I, I, I think the business models are really going to be critical here. Um, for example, I don't think the ownership model will ever really go away. I, I think there's always going to be um, not only the enthusiasts mm -hmm. from a standpoint of you know wanting to own your own car, but also just the enthusiasts for the freedom that that brings and, and just going off and owning your own vehicle, personalizing it, um, and things like that. And the other business model or, or um, relation to the customer would be something more like subscription and you have a whole suite of vehicles to choose from. Yep. Today I only need a commuter, tomorrow I need to take the kids to the amusement park, so I need more of a, you know, a larger vehicle for that. And then of course pay as you go, whether that would be um, a train or Uber. You know, Uber has definitely uh, appended the system here with, uh, with their new, um, just with an app. Uber doesn't own anything, they just have apps. A app, 
So um, those things are, are really radically Mm -hmm. uh, changing the industry, but I think the ownership model isn't going to go away entirely. I think there's not entirely, but it is going to change. Darby, I'm, I'm curious. Have, have you ever given any thought? How would you design a car that's primarily meant for sharing, where you know all different kinds of people would use it? That would be interesting because I mean, people are so different. The car would be able to have to suit these different people and what they need. Um, you know, like what about handicapped people? How could they get into the car? You'd have to really think about ac accessibility. Um, what they want out of a car, what they want to, you know, what what does this car offer these people that, that they're going to want to share this car with other people, that they're going to want to get in a car, kind of like a taxi, what's going to make them want to do that instead of have their own car. A any thoughts along that, car sharing and how you would design for it? Well, you know, I think that if a uh, if the OEMs look at it from the standpoint of, you know, they already have their portfolio of brands in many cases, but a portfolio of cars, products, that are automated and that could show up at your door with their own apps, um, then it, they don't have to be generic. Today I want to be an enthusiast, tomorrow I want just need to be a commuter. Um, then that doesn't have to go away. And, you know, branding is going to remain extremely important because, um, you know, just as some of us fly Virgin Airlines, others of us fly Southwest, and we sort of identify ourselves with what that brand means, um, you know, publicly. So um, Cara's avatar, I don't think, necessarily has to change. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people lease their Mercedes now anyway. That's right. <laughs> Great point. And, and with those cars, I don't think necessarily that uh, they need to all look like they're out of the commercial division or they... Uh, it's public transportation, but depending on who the customer is and what those needs are, you might have to tweak, you know, your design language, if you will, mm -hmm. to fulfill what their requirements are. Joe, I got to believe that this next decade is is going to be a real challenge. We're, we're seeing all kinds of new materials come in. There's, you know, really stringent <clears throat> fuel economy and yes. emission standards, and yet you represent brands that represent lots of power. And, yes. And how do you how do you blend all that from a design standpoint? Well, it's, uh, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, with the fuel economy, aero is very important. So there's a tendency to want to reduce the frontal area and, and smooth the underbody of the vehicle and do things like that. Um, while at the same time, having the designer to have enough flexibility that they can make their vehicle look unique as opposed to everybody else in the market. So that's one of the biggest challenges. And then Conversely, on the interior, we have so many regulations and things like that that are facing our interior designers. The tendency is to want to push the surfaces out. Meanwhile, our aero friends want us to push the surfaces in. So that's the challenge for, for any of the designers and, and uh, within the OEMs uh, for uh, the next 10 years, I would say. And also, I mean, the, the brands that, that you work on, Ram and Dodge, the, the very expressive exactly. design. Very, I mean, Amer very American. You, you can't be conservative with those brands, can no, you? No, you can't. Um, it's, uh, we uh, like to challenge the unboring, uh, it's, uh, or champion the unboring. Um, it's really, uh, you, you, can't, um, you can't have anything that's quiet or boring or dull. It's, uh, it's got to stand out. It's got to be very American. Uh, chest pounding, I like to say. Mm -hmm. Darby, you had mentioned uh, coming up with cars that don't even look like cars. Can you give us any examples of what some of your thoughts are along those lines? Um, I was thinking kind of more like spaceship-y, speed form-like, but mm -hmm. they, would, they could still have, I mean, wheels or whatnot. Maybe they don't have wheels. Maybe they don't have four wheels. Um, you don't know, but I, 
I think some like an inspiration of a car taken to the next level. Like, think of humanity a hundred years later. What our car is going to look like, and it just you know crazy forms and cool stuff going on in there. And it could just make it really neat. I can't believe that enthusiasts who love to drive will ever go for autonomous cars. Maybe for their daily commute, if it involves a lot of stop and go traffic, nobody likes to drive in that. But you seem to be talking about design that could maybe even make enthusiasts want to get in an autonomous car? Maybe. I mean, an enthusiast is always going to be an enthusiast, in my opinion. I'll always, I, you know, if autonomy ever comes and takes over the world, I'll go find somewhere I can keep a car and drive it. But if it can be some kind of cool experience where they don't think of it as a replacement of driving, it's, it's separate from driving. It's more of, um, you know, point A to point B, which driving can do also. But a different type that they could still have their car and, and be able to drive and be an enthusiast. But then this other type of transportation would just be, you know, really quick, more of like a roller coaster ride kind mm -hmm. of deal. Paul, what Darby's talking about is interesting to me because that would almost seem to say from, let's say, 2025, 2030 onward, we're, we're going to see a huge change. I guess the, the real challenge is in the next decade when we have cars that have semi-autonomy mm -hmm. where the driver can, you know, hands off, at least going down the freeway, but then have to jump in at a moment's notice. This has got to be a massive design challenge. Well, I think it is, and I think uh, the, you know, user interface and the way the car <clears throat> tells you that it's ready to be taken over manually or tells you that it's ready to be uh, fully autonomous is critical. But... <clears throat> you know, the opportunities that it presents are pretty cool. I, I was uh, having a conversation with my friend uh, Fabio Filippini at uh, Pininfarina. We were talking about this kind of, you know, the iRobot scene where Will Smith uh, asked for manual and the computer is telling him it's really dangerous and he's like, give it to me anyway. Um, so, you know, there's that switch back and forth. You commute and then you, you're off into your country road to, for your last few miles. But what if you had a Formula One driver um, program the code for the vehicle and it would take you on a racetrack or, you know, drive like a Formula One car? Your hands are off and you just kind of, you know, <laughs> drive along for the ride. Along for the <laughs> ride. And that's something that they could do, you know, um, with, all the, uh, with all the programming for an automated sort of mode, you know, super race car mode. Sure, yeah. BMW, I think, has even put out videos at various racetracks. I'm remembering one at Laguna Seca, Mazda yeah. Speedway, if I don't say that. The Mazda people will kill me, but Laguna Seca, <laughs> I think it was at Laguna. And, I mean, this car is just flat out with four people in it, nobody driving. Mm. So, you know, your vision is already here. Yeah, I, Maybe not right. for everybody to experience, but, but the technology is there. That you could uh, develop your brand around, you know, like how would Ferrari possibly uh, market an autonomous vehicle? Because it's so much about driving. Well, what if you got to drive like Fernando Alonso or something like that, you know, or, or got a ride in your Ferrari driven by a virtual Fernando? So you could see what your car could really do. Then, then it would be, yeah, exactly. Then it would be, wow, I want one of those. Yeah. You know? the, uh, and then the counter to that would be, obviously, the people that, that don't care about driving. It's all about point A to point B. And, That's right. And, and I've had discussions with some of uh, my friends and, and uh, counterparts at uh, uh, FCA. And, uh, you know, you think about it. 
the gr a car is basically a body with a greenhouse on it. And the greenhouse is obviously so the occupants and the driver can have good visibility. In the future, if there is no driver and it's autonomous, you don't need a greenhouse for you could basically have a mattress or some kind of a, a more uh, linear type of seating arrangement where you're laying on your back the whole time. I mean, you, you think about it, it could really radically change what we commonly perceive as a vehicle in a, in a more traditional sense. Sure, I, I see in the future with autonomous vehicles, uh, big box vans could become very popular <laughs> mm -hmm. because you could almost coat. make it into you know your own media room, your own yeah. apartment. Mm -hmm. Even I could see people living in their cars. Yeah, at absolutely. Some point. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, I, I, uh, since we're all talking about future design and where it's all going, are you excited about all these new materials that are coming in and manufacturing processes? Whether it's carbon fiber, three D printing, what's that open up the doors for you as a as a designer? Well, I think uh, I think the biggest thing is instant gratification because in the in the past, you uh, especially when we're making uh, something in the studio, you'd have somebody in the back, you know, it's like Santa's workshop making these parts with rapid prototyping with uh, you know, working uh, with new untraditional or non-traditional materials. Um, we come up with solutions to problems that actually don't exist, but yet we find a way to integrate that into our process. And that's what's exciting about it. not only at the, the school level that I see at some of the schools that I visit, um, but also, you know, at the OEM level. What's, a, what's amazing to me is um, some of the schools that I visited where I see uh, some of the departments like interior or exterior design like architecture, they use a certain uh, methods and, and uh, rapid prototyping uh, types of solutions that influence the automotive guys and gals. And I think that's awesome when you see that translation uh, into another curriculum. It's pretty, pretty neat. Darby, have you given any thought to this, all these new materials that are suddenly becoming available to automakers to play around with? I think that'll be really cool for the future if like the standards for today's you know, metal, um, aluminum, whatnot, carbon fiber bodies, if you can find a material that's stronger than that but 3D printable, easier to make, then you could make a stronger car, more durable car with you know, cheaper, easier to make materials, which I think would be really cool. Yeah. I think the customer is gonna benefit. You know, when you think about the structure of a door, Right, you have the interior door skin. Somewhere in there you have a glass that has to drop up and down and the, the rails that that travels on and all the clearance zones. And then you have all the fixtures that, you know, attach everything together. And then finally you have your, you know, your outer skin. Well, we've had um, co-molding now for a long time, but when we can do co-growing, then we won't even have all those kinds of different, uh, you know, clearances that are necessary. It'll just be, sort of you know extremely compact so the customer will have a lot more interior space the frontal area will be reduced mm -hmm. and the whole thing will be lighter your engineering time will be shorter because you don't have to worry about draft angles and things like that exactly yeah. so uh or that, die lock or die lock all <laughs> yeah. that stuff i mean it's an exciting new world well, this seems to be getting to what you were talking about earlier, Joe, of the aerodynamicists are pushing you guys yeah, to shrink exactly. things down and the interior designers yep. trying to push it all back out. What, what you're talking about, Paul, is kind of being able to achieve both of those with exactly. these new materials. Yeah, compressing. You know, I, when, when I was at Honda, we talked a lot about um, man uh, first and machine second because it's all about the, you know, the, the owner of the vehicle, the customer, right? So it really just takes that to an extreme where um, the machine itself is really just in service to your experience inside of the vehicle. 
And how are you uh, teaching your students about these? How do you expose them to what these new technologies and materials are all about? Well, they do an enormous amount of research on their own, and so they're always bringing new things to the table, that's for sure. Um, and what I try to do is uh, speak to them about the design process and, um, and using those new developments intelligently uh, so that the, the customer is ultimately the beneficiary of their work and these new technologies. So it's really kind of a process of, um, of doing the research and coming up with an innovative idea where you know, the customer is then happy and, and, and then everybody makes money. And, you know, that's what we're in business for. That, that's what everybody's in business yeah. for, that's for sure. And are you finding these things in school? Or are you going out and finding out about it your, on your own or your friends? How, how do you learn about new things that you might apply to design? Oh, it's both. There's a design theory class at CCS that I took that uh, you kind of, it's an assignment to come up with these new materials that could you would make your car out of or a proposal for a design. Um, and then in the beginning of a studio, there's multiple weeks assigned to research, and you have to research materials, customer, you know, what, what you want your vehicle to be like. But when you're just, you know, spending weeks researching these cool materials, you can find so much cool stuff. Yeah. Joe, same thing. How, do, how, did, how does your design staff keep focused on the future? Um, they uh, do a lot of research. Uh, a lot of stuff I think they come across that might be... Uh, uh, casual, um, but they're always on top of everything, you know, mm -hmm. including myself. We, we're always looking for the next big thing, you know, whether it be uh, something that would influence the product or uh, a new material. There's always something out there that's uh, pretty cool and exciting. See, that, that, that's what I love about design. You guys are always looking to the future. Mm -hmm. You're always coming up with something new. And of course, that's what sells cars. Who's got the latest and greatest and newest? And it, it, it very much is a fashion business on one hand. Oh, absolutely. But with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Very interesting. I think we've got a little bit clearer idea of how you get new talent into the industry. And I think certainly some of the future things that we've talked about in materials and technology might be one way to bring them in. But I want to thank you all. Joe Daner, exterior design head at Dodge and Ram. Darby Barber, CCS student, soon to be a designer in the auto industry, I'm sure. And Paul Snyder, the transportation design chair at the College for Creative Studies. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for Auto Line this week has been provided by. People are going to have apprehensions about going into the dealership because it's the largest purchase they're going to make in their lifetime next to their house. So they have to figure, can I afford this? True Car gets to the heart of the matter. Within 60 seconds, you're going to find out what the average customer is paying for that car. True Car helps you enjoy the car buying process because you're spending less time negotiating price. You're going to find yourself focusing on what's the right car for you and have a lot of fun with that. Experience a whole new way to buy a car with True Car.